0: This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. DecaWatt Playhouse, Episode 23.
1: It's time for DecaWatt Playhouse. Let us return to the 1980s and a small liberal arts college in western Pennsylvania. Here, without the distractions of alcohol or intervisitation students had nothing else to do but amuse themselves with strange radio shows and college bands announcer bot what have you retrieved from the vaults of history tonight classic radio theater the invisible man
2: Welcome to WSAJ Classic Radio Theater's production of The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells. Strange appearances should not be taken lightly. One who looks strange may have a lot on their mind, or perhaps nothing at all.
3: looking a man but at this time of the year travelers were few and far between and she was in no mood to question her guests appearance
4: a fire in the name of charity I want a room and a fire if you can pay sir I'm sure you'll find my comfortable. I can pay well enough here are three sovereigns three
2: sovereigns yes sir right away sir Please, step this way, and I'll show
4: you the finest room we have. It needn't be fine, just so long as there's a fire, a good, stout door with a lock. I wish to be warmed and fed and left alone. Yes, sir. I'll have the portrait light to fire immediately. Will this room suit? Yes, perfectly.
2: Simpson, Simpson, A gentleman and roommate, Jimson, Come, light the fire
4: get here soon enough to suit
2: me. I'm half frozen. I should think so, sir, traveling on such a night as this. If you'll excuse me, I'll see to some supper for you.
4: I'll excuse you right enough. I don't want people hanging about.
2: May I take your hat and cloak, sir, to dry them out by the kitchen
4: fire? You're soaked through, I shouldn't wonder. Don't touch me, madam. I shall dry my clothes at my own fire, if I ever get a fire. Very good, sir. You
2: needn't be so touchy. I was only trying to no harm in
4: that, I hope, sir. I do not look to innkeeper's wives for sociability. Indeed, I do not look for sociability at all. I will pay you handsomely for your, my lodgings, never fear. For the rest, you have only to leave me alone. I'm expecting a van of furnishings in a day or two. The instant they arrive, you are to knock at my door and tell me. They are very important to me, to my work.
5: You work, sir?
4: Yes, madam, my work. I have a great deal of work to do, and I wish to do it undisturbed. I fancy this place will suit me. It's remote, it's quiet, and I'm not likely to be interrupted. I trust, madam, that I make myself clear. I wish to be left alone. Utterly, wholly, completely alone.
3: A these words, the stranger firmly closed the door of his room upon his landlady leaving her with her mouth hanging open in amazement. Surely this was the most unusual traveler who had ever stopped at the coach and horses. But he was no haggler, and he paid good cash. Such men were not to be treated lightly. So, bethinking herself of the stranger's dinner, Mrs. Hall made her way to the kitchen. Millie?
2: Millie? Come now, girl. There's a guest and roommate who wants his dinner. A guest, Mrs. Hall, at this time of night? The time of his coming is the least part of his strangeness, Millie. I never saw a man so fierce in my life. But he's rich, so we must humor him. Not that he's likely to catch your eye. How bonded up he is, so he can't see an inch of his face. Has on a pair of smoked glasses and a hat pulled down to hair. I noticed his hands were all wrapped with bandages. Been in some sort of accident, I should say. Probably been badly disfigured, poor man. No doubt that's why he insists on being left alone. What's his name? I didn't ask. You know nothing
5: about him, then? Who knows what kind of man he may may be, Mrs. Hall? He might be a murderer.
2: Don't be such a goose. Anybody can make up a name, I suppose. Even murderers. He gave me what was better than a name. He gave me gold. No harm will come from him. Just a stranger who's been in an accident and is so ashamed of how he looks that he wants to be left alone. He was very particular on that one point. He wants to be left alone.
3: The stranger got his wish. Except for the delivery of his meals, his door remained closed, and for two days none but the porter had so much as a glimpse of him and even the porter had strange things to tell what he had seen. Boy, he kept his back to me all the time, he did. Wouldn't let me see so much as an
4: inch of his face. Caught me to wonder, I tell you. I kept asking him questions and making observations about the weather until I thought he would He was so anxious for me to get out. At last he couldn't control his anger and he whirled around. Wouldn't you believe it? He would talk to me through a handkerchief. held the thing right up through his face, like he didn't want me to see him. You know what I
2: think? I think he's invisible. Lord, help us all. Invisible, you say? You're a superstitious old fool, Jimson. Your mind's (laughs) a-wandering. I suspect we should send a letter to the Queen, Mrs. Paul, inviting her down to meet
5: our special guest. tis isn't everyone that has the privilege of playing host to an invisible man.
3: But though the women scoffed at Jimson, the curiosity about the stranger changed to fear. On the third day after his arrival, the stranger's belonging arrived. Completely muffled, as was his custom, the stranger supervised the unloading.
4: Come along with these boxes, there. I've been waiting long enough.
3: There certainly are a
2: great many boxes
4: here, sir. <sighs> Perhaps I should explain, Saw, that I am an experimental investigator. These boxes contain my apparatus and appliances. I've waited a long time for them, and I'm very anxious to get on with my inquiries. Surely you can understand that. Oh, yes,
2: sir. Only there are so many boxes. Well, it certainly will make a great deal of trouble cleaning up after you.
4: Put it down on the bill. A shilling. Put down a shilling for cleaning up the packing straw. That ought to be enough. For heaven's sake, don't be forever worrying me. If there's damage, put it on the bill. If there's inconvenience, put it on the bill. Charge me whatever you like, but stop asking me questions. Leave me alone. We never want to
3: be Past the door of room eight. He could make out the sounds of the stranger's experiment. But what the man was investigating, no one could imagine. The little town of Ipping quickly came to accept the man at the inn as a standing topic of conversation. But after a week, a new mystery broke out, which occupied everyone's attention, and conversation was now given over to the rash of burglaries that had erupted in the neighborhood.
0: That's the most amazing thing. Nobody's broken into the post office for years, and it must have been during the daytime, too. Seven pounds sixpence was taken.
3: And what about the business down at Old Mrs. Harney's? Went out of the kitchen for five minutes, and when she came back,
2: the fresh baked kidney pie was gone. That's nothing to what happened to Dr. Huntington. Had a bank of notes in front of him on his desk. Turned his back a moment, and when he looked around, it was gone. And the window closed the whole time.
0: Have you heard the latest? It was the hospital. Three folks were sitting in the front waiting room when old Mrs. Hopkins was a buying her bill. Miss Craig had just put the money down on the counter and it ran straight up in the air, all by itself, and walked out of the room. They so stopped up they couldn't do a thing. Just sat there while four pound seven went flying through the air and straight out the door. Makes your hair stand on in just to hear tell of it.
2: In my opinion, the devil himself has come to ipping.
3: People did indeed think that their little village had fallen into some sort of enchantment. The robberies increased, but the police found themselves helpless. There were no clues of any kind. Sums of money just seemed to vanish into thin air. Several weeks went by and then one day Dr. Cuss, who had been going from house to house taking up a collection for the new nursing home, came running down the stairs of the coach and horses, his eyes ablaze with fright.
2: Why, Dr. Cuss,
3: you look as though you'd seen a ghost.
4: What, Mrs. Hall? Where? The man, the man in room eight. Scared you off, did he? He's very particular about being
2: left alone. I could have warned you. I uh,
4: I thought I'd go and see him for a minute. I heard he was rich and uh, thought he might give me something for the collection. I knocked on the door and waited. There was no answer. Perhaps he didn't hear you. Just what I thought myself, so I I took the liberty of walking in. He was working, and the minute he heard me behind him, he jammed both his hands into his coat. But not before I was able to see. To see. To see what, Dr. Cut? He has no hands, Mrs. All. They were just two empty sleeves, and and when he turned around, I I saw something else. He has no face. The man in room eight, no hands, no face, just emptiness. You can see right through him, except where there's clothing covering him. That's why he always wears the bandages and the hat and the smoked glasses. Oh, Mrs. Hall! Oh, Mrs. Hall! Jimson was right. The stranger in room eight. He's an invisible man.
3: The strange story told by Dr. Cuss spread through the town like wildfire. Most people refused to believe it, it was too preposterous. But suddenly it seemed to explain the petty thieveries that had been going on. How else could they have managed, except by a burglar who was invisible? A deputation of townsmen was soon formed, all with one purpose in mind, to arrest and capture the incredible, invisible man
4: we knock on the door, we'll shove right in.
1: Well, oh, he's knocking. He would only warn him. Jimson's right. He'd have a chance to make himself invisible.
0: We'd do better test the rush in. Take him more by surprise.
4: Very well. Courage, men. We'll capture him if there's anything to capture. Now then, one, two, three, push. We've got you now, invisible man. Oh, my secret is out. I don't see him. Where is he? The boss came from that direction. Look, the body's hanging in the mayor. Must be him, point. He's moving too far. (laughs) Is it a fight you want? Fools, you're no match for me. (laughs) How easily I elude you. (laughs) The bandit has dropped to the floor. He's shuckering off the other one.
1: We'll never catch him once he gets them off. He'll be
4: invisible again. (laughs) There, that's the last of it. Now, come and catch me if you can. (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, all of you. Here, Dr. Cut. A blow with a poker to sit you into you... Watch. He's killed the doctor. I'll kill all of you before I'm through. You may have found out my secret, but you'll never track me down. <laughs> you'll never catch me. Nobody can catch the invisible man. <laughs>
3: Now there could be no doubt of it. The whole of Ipping was convinced that they had been visited by an invisible man. Word spread rapidly from town to town, but just as the people of Ipping had refused to believe it first, now the rest of England followed suit. In Burdock, a town not far from Ipping, the story was presented in the evening paper where it caught the eye of a member of the Royal Society, one Dr. Kemp. Have you heard about the strange goings on at Ipping, Dr. Kemp? An
5: invisible man, they say.
1: Yes, Mrs. Mallory. I have just been reading about it in the paper. Rubbish. Superstitious rubbish.
5: I thought so myself, Dr. Kemp. But they say...
1: I don't care what they say. It's simply a case of mass hysteria. Incredibly explainable phenomenon, I can assure you.
5: All the same, sir, I thought I'd leave a bit earlier than usual tonight, if you don't mind. Just in case the invisible man is walking around. I shouldn't like to meet him, you know.
1: I tell you it's impossible, Mrs. Mallory. Still in all, you may leave if you like. Just see that the windows are all closed in the library. I'm going th- I'm going there at a moment to do some work.
5: I've already closed them, sir, and turned down your bed, too. I'm sure you think I'm a foolish old woman, Dr. Kent. Uh,
1: that you are, Mrs. Mallory. If you should bump into this invisible man, you must be certain to give him my regards.
3: It was two o'clock before Dr. Kemp had finished his work for the night. He rose, yawned, and went upstairs to bed. He had already removed his coat and vest when suddenly he noticed that something seemed odd in the room. Dr. Kemp's scientific pursuits had made him a keenly observant man, and now he looked around, investigating the room with all the power of his senses. Strange.
1: Something seems not quite right. What is it, a sound? Less than a sound. Hello, oh, what's this? The bed is depressed, as though someone had been sitting on it. it is a sound. As though someone were it, breathing heavily. My imagination is playing tricks on me. All that talk of an, ev- of an invisible man has even rattled me. How did that door come to fly shut? There's no breeze. The window isn't open. Is there someone in this room with me?
4: By Jove, it's Kep.
1: Who said that? Where are you?
4: I say, this is a piece of luck. Fancy seeing Kemp again after all these years.
1: How, how do you know my name?
4: Where are you? Who is it? I should think you'd have been able to guess who I am. After all the talk you've heard. I'm the invisible man. That doesn't frighten you. I am a scientist.
1: I am never frightened by testimony of my own senses. I did not believe you existed until now, but as I have been forced to change my mind, I see no reason
4: to lose hold of my senses. You were always a man of nerve, Kemp. Don't you recognize my voice? I'm Griffin of University College. We were students together. Griffin? I was a bit younger than you were. You must remember me. I was an albino with white hair, pale skin. I'm still a man like yourself, only now. I am invisible.
1: You must tell your tale slowly.
4: I think I do remember you, Griffin, but how did all this come about? It's horrible enough, but I shall tell you the whole story. First, though, you must get me some food and light the fire. I'm tired, I'm hungry, and I'm cold. Yes, yes, I shall tell you the whole story. But you must promise not to tell a soul.
1: My dear fellow, I make bargains with no one.
4: You will make a bargain with me, Dr. Kemp. Do not forget for an instant that though you cannot see me, I can see you all the time. One false move, one sign of giving warning to anyone, and you are as good as dead. There, I see by your face you understand. Now, get me some food. I must eat. Then I shall tell you my story. It's an awful enough story, but you shall hear me out. Yes, Dr. Kemp, you shall hear me out, to the bitter end.
3: The good doctor did not know whether to be frightened or curious. At last, his scientific interest and the threats of the invisible man combined to make him do as he was told. Thus it happened that in the middle of the night, Dr. Kemp found himself a prisoner by his own fire, listening to the most incredible story he had ever heard.
4: You may remember that at the college I was much interested in the problems of light. As an albino, I suppose, I was naturally attracted to the subject of pigments. I began to do some experiments in the changing the color of the various substances. Finally, quite by accident, I hit on a method of rendering any inert object, a piece of wood, a bit of meat, even a lump of coal, absolutely as colorless, as transparent as water. Suddenly I had a brilliant idea. If I could transform inert matter, why not a living animal? A human being? In short, why not make myself invisible?
1: It must have taken you endless research, my dear fellow.
4: I worked at it for years, but at last I succeeded. I will not bore you with the details of my experiments. I'm too tired, and besides, they're all written down in my notebooks, and you shall read them. I was forced to leave those precious notebooks behind in Ipping, and I made my escape. But with your help, I shall recover them.
1: You must have had many adventures as an invisible
4: man. Ah, many, many adventures. But it's not going as I had planned. I am invisible only when I am undressed. With clothes on, I can be seen as easily as you. Do you know what it's like to run through the streets and fields on a night like this without a stitch on one's back? (laughs) I may die of cold. Ah, yes, you nod your head. I have not thought the thing through, I confess. While I was still experimenting, I saw only the advantages of the thing. But there are disadvantages, I can tell you. I cannot rest until I am sure that no one will discover me. I cannot eat unless I am alone, for I would be found out by the spoon floating in mid-air. In short, I am confounded at every turn. Dogs nip at me, they pick up my scent, even if they don't see me. There is no end of trouble... That is why this is such a stroke of luck, my running into you.
1: I? What have I to do with it?
4: Just think, man. I need an accomplice. With you in on my secret, I can take refuge in your house. I can sleep in your bed, eat at your table, warm myself by your fire, and none will be the wiser. I made a huge mistake, Kemp, in trying to carry the thing through alone. Alone there is so little I can do. But with a confederate thousand things are possible. What things? What do you wish to accomplish? Together, Kemp, we will rule the world. Think, man. You and I know there is an invisible man. The world must know it. We will establish a reign of terror. All who disobey us, we shall kill. Kill? Kill. Surely you jest. No jest at all. Suppose a message were slipped under the door of the mayor's house, saying, Deliver ten thousand pounds to the first empty table at the inn by tomorrow noon or your life is forfeit. He wouldn't do it, would he? So the Invisible Man kills him. Rest assured, Kemp, the next instructions from the Invisible Man will be carried out to the letter. Yes, yes. A reign of terror. The city will be ours. The country. The world. You're mad, Griffin. Mad. I shan't go on with this. I'll report to you. you. You shall do nothing of the kind, Kemp. You forget that all that I can do all I have said I can do. I promised a reign of terror. It's begun with you. Yes, Kemp, with you. Either you will do my bidding, or you will become my first victim.
3: That night, the terrified Kemp was unable to sleep. He would not escape the knowledge that he was truly in the power this invisible madman, Griffin. With each hour Kemp felt as though a noose were being pulled tighter and tighter around his neck. Horrible thoughts streamed through his brain. One thought became clearer and clearer. He must get help. He must save the town. He must capture the madman who would terrorize the world if given the chance. Tiptoed to the door of the room in which Griffin lay, satisfied himself by the steady sound of breathing that the invisible man was asleep. Quickly, he returned to the library, where he penned an urgent note.
1: Mrs. Mallory, I am a prisoner of, of the invisible man. Do not enter the house. Send help at once.
3: Clipping the note around the outside door knob, where his housekeeper would be sure to see it, Kemp made his way back to his room and for the first time that night managed to fall asleep. The invisible man, tired from his adventures, slept late. When at last he entered the dining room, Kemp knew he had come in by the rustling of the drapes. His voice was calmer than it had been the night before.
4: Well, Kemp, have you thought over what I have said? Yes, Griffin, I have, and I can't say I like it. No one asked you to like it. What was that? Nothing, Griffin, nothing. I heard a door open. Traitor. I should have known better than to trust you. Betrayed me, have you? No, Griffin, no. You are a liar. They'll never catch me, Kemp. No one will ever catch me. You were a fool to risk it. I swear to you, I shall pay you for this treachery.
1: Dr. Kemp, your housekeeper told us to come.
4: There's no time to lose, Constable.
1: He's by the door. Surround the door, men. Don't let him through. Throwing books, are you, Griffin? He must be by the bookcase.
4: You'll never catch me, (laughs) Kemp. Never.
1: (laughs) Something's fresh past me. Surround the room, men. Feel through the air with your hands. It's the only way. He must be by the door again. To the door. He's broken through the window. Quick. No. I feel nothing. Nothing. Look, Dr. Kemp. In the bud beneath your window. A footprint. Escaped. Heaven help us all, Constable 80. The invisible man has escaped. His reign of terror has begun.
3: told what it was like to live the life of an invisible man, and Kemp was able to use this information to his advantage.
1: My friends, unless we capture the madman, we will rule, he will rule us with an iron fist. It will not be easy to effect his capture, but it is possible. We must begin at once. Every available man must get to work. If do not catch Griffin, he will roam the countryside. at will, killing and maiming at every turn. First, Set a watch on every train and carriage leaving the countryside. He must not get through. And we must prevent him from eating worse flavors. Food must be locked up. Houses must be barred against him. Clothes are not to be put out to dry, but must be kept indoors. Pray heaven and freezes tonight. Spread the roads with broken glass. He is barefoot. Go through the fields with sticks, feeding the air and ground for every inch. There is no telling where he may be. Bloodhound. We must get out the dogs, for they can smell what cannot be seen. These things sound cruel, I know. But it'll, it, it is our only chance to protect ourselves. This man is a madman. He has cut himself off from his own kind. His blood shall be upon his own head. Hotel. Dr. Kemp, you have brought this situation about. By now, another man would have been caught or starved. But I am no ordinary man. Be warned, I shall have my revenge. You cannot escape me. I shall kill you tonight at nine o'clock. No matter where you are, no matter what you are doing, you cannot escape me invisible man. You think you will succeed, Dr. Kemp? There is no doubt of it, Constable. The man is mad bound to find me at nine o'clock tonight, or so he asked for.
5: Me. Is there nothing we can do, Dr. Kemp? Surely you're not going to sit back and wait for him to kill you. That
1: is precisely what I am going to do. Sit back and wait. But he will not kill me. The man is mad, and in his madness. He does not see that he is giving us the very chance we need. What chance, Dr. Kemp? Seems to me that all is lost. Not lost, Dr. Kemp. Lady, listen, I have a plan.
3: Kemp outlined his plan to Constable Hades, who immediately saw how practical it was.
1: But let us not forget, Dr. Kemp. There is great risk to you. The risk cannot be helped. This is our only chance. If we do not do as I have suggested, I am a doomed man in any case. Griffin is determined to kill me when the clock strikes nine. That night. I know when I am beaten. You have sworn to kill me tonight, and I cannot escape you. I have come here to keep my appointment with you. I recognize your superior powers. Come and do your work. Are you all right? Yes, yes. What about Griffin? Did you get him? I can feel his body here on the gravel. There is no heartbeat.
2: Oh, Dr.
5: Kemp, I've never been so frightened in my all my life. Are you all right?
1: Thank God I am, Mrs. Mallory. All went as I thought. It was a stroke of genius, Doctor. Genius. I knew that he would try and kill me with his bare hands. If he had used a weapon, he would have revealed himself to you must have guessed I would be watched. What he did not realize was that by watching what happened to me, he would be able to surmise his position and would take careful aim. Poor madman. I think he was brilliant enough to make such an important scientific discovery Then he couldn't use it for his own good or the benefit of mankind.
2: Ah! Look, Dr. Kemp! The dead man!
1: He's... he's becoming visible again. Horrible. See such madness. Such torment, such pain and grief reflected in his twisted
5: features. I cannot bet, to look, it's so hideous. I, I almost wish you were invisible
1: again. If well, the world can learn its lessons from the story of this evil genius, we will never again know anyone mad enough to try to become what Griffin became. He has proved only too conclusively that there can never be any happiness for anyone who wishes to rule the world. Certainly there can be no happiness for an existence.
0: Dean Winnestrom as the first man, and Mark Harrison as the second man. And the inimitable Larry Bowald as Griffin, the invisible man. This play has been directed by Mark Harrison. The executive technical director is Mike Johnston. It has been technically directed by Mark Harrison with technical assistance by Kathy Malcolm and Todd Coe. Tune in next Sunday night for another classic radio theater production. And remember, don't look over your shoulder. No one might be
1: there. For more information, please visit sfpodcastnetwork.com on the interweb. Thank you for listening, and farewell from all
5: of us at Decawatt Playhouse.